Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Jeffrey Eisenberg. Dr. Eisenberg is an associate professor at the University of Pittsburgh, and he also has appointments in the Department of Pharmacology, Chemical Biology, and Bioengineering at the University. I know that you're also a faculty member of the Heart, Lung, Blood, and Vascular Medicine Institute under the leadership of Dr. Mark Gladwin, and this network is also an asset to your research. Dr. Eisenberg, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thank you, dude. It's a pleasure to be here. You have a variety of interests, but I know one of your interests is in helping to facilitate some solutions to tissue engineering. Can you give us a bit of an introduction to that particular aspect of your work? Yes. So the lab has for its entire life an interest in processes that limit healing of wounds, if you will, in the large sense. The question being, why heal the wound and how do you heal the wound? And at the cellular level, we've been focusing on a protein that's really not found in health or in youth, but is upregulated with injury. This particular protein is secreted by cells and it's called thrombospondin 1. And it works, as we've seen in work in our lab and with colleagues at the NIH and elsewhere, through a cell-expressed receptor called CD47. And in this capacity, the protein has the ability to limit cells in their self-renewing capacity. And the mechanism through which it does it, at least in part, is probably linked to the ability of the secreted protein when maladaptively upregulated to suppress some key transcription factors that are involved in self-renewal. And specifically, these factors have been studied by the stem cell community for some time since they were first identified, and they are CMYK, OCT3-4, SOX2, and CLIF4. And this cassette that is sometimes abbreviated in the science literature OSKM seems to be a downstream target of the TSP-CD47 interaction. And by that I mean when we have the turning on of that, the induction of the TSP-47 signal, this self-renewal transcription cassette uniformly appears to decrease both in isolated cells and in tissues from animals and the converse of this is when we look at animals that have been genetically modified that lack TSP or lack CD47, we find in specific cell types and or organ types upregulation of that OSKM cassette, and at the same time, the cells in cultured experiments and in their expression patterns in vivo show increased, if you will, uh, self-renewal. Now, what's very intriguing about all this is that the the same effect can be obtained by blocking, intersecting this signal transduction pathway in human cells. In other words, we can enhance their ability to self-renewal by getting in the way of the TSP-CD47 axis. A lot of questions remain. We don't know why the animals that lack these genes, thrombospondin CD47 specifically, don't show a more tumorogenesis, but they appear not to, or we don't see enhanced levels of visceral organ tumors. The application of this we've been exploring in a collaborative project that really developed here at Pitt a couple of years ago between myself and Dr. Tom Gilbert and Dr. Stephen Badilak. The genesis of this interaction really came out of a 
lung regeneration working group that Dr. Stephen Shapiro was overseeing at the time, and that's how Tom and I met Dr. Gilbert. And Tom's interest had been in airway tracheal injury healing and restoration, and specifically he was focusing on this because the trachea turns out to be both a vital organ and one that can't be easily or even reasonably reconstructed through available other sources of composite tissue. So for individuals that lose the trachea from cancer or trauma or are born with a lack of a normal trachea forming, it can be a life-threatening and crippling problem. And in this venue, we've been testing how a decellularized tracheal scaffold heals in the presence or absence of the TSP CD47 signal, in the goal being to perhaps enhance the ability of these natural decellularized matrices to repopulate with appropriate cell types in vivo. So let me perhaps express a little bit of ignorance about some of the details of what you're working on. And what I think I know is that if normal tissue engineering, a biologically compatible scaffold is seeded with cells and it forms new tissue. Uh, you've indicated for the trachea there's some difficulties in accomplishing that, is that correct? Yes, this has been an area of intense interest worldwide among scientists, uh, clinicians, and clinician scientists working both with synthetic, if you will, scaffolds that would mimic the three-dimensional geometry of the trachea, but probably more successfully, efforts has focused on taking existing tracheas and removing the cellular components and then redecorating them and reestablishing them with appropriate cell types in the process of repairing a tracheal deficit. Now, this is where the skill sets of Dr. Banilak and Dr. Gilbert really augment this project of both of them being experts in decellularized matrices and the characteristics that they acquire through the process of decellularization. So do we know why a tracheal scaffold doesn't repopulate as well as the other scaffolds? Well, that's actually a very good question. One of the unique things about the trachea is, of course, its, its anatomy is very subtle. So not only does it have a lining epithelium, it has uh, C-shaped cartilaginous rings that occur intermittently throughout its length, and this occurs also in a smaller scale through the proximal bronchi and main airways. And those cartilaginous rings provide support to maintain the internal diameter of the airways, which is very crucial for uh, proper airflow dynamics. Also in there are a component of smooth muscle cells and adventitial layers, and all of it has a segmental blood supply, which makes transplanting and surgery of the airways so challenging, as opposed to, say, a longitudinal blood supply, which would allow for more ease in surgical reconstructions and transplants. It seems from some of the work we do, there is, at the time of injury, in response to the stress of either tracheal transplant or surgery, the thrombospondin CD47 signal may actually go up, at least in experiments that have been done at this time. And that might be providing part of the reason or some of the inhibitory ability for cells to, if you will, take on the decellularized matrix. The 
translational relevance would then be, say, to test whether blocking that TSP-CD47 signal in the decellularized transplant enhanced the cellular take rate and the cellular invasion rate of the transplanted scaffold. So you mentioned the incentive to promote self-renewal. You also mentioned the potential issue of tumor-tumor formation. Right. How do you balance that? Well, that's a, a very important question. We're, at least in the work that I believe some of my collaborators at the NIH are doing, they're looking at the role of chronic stress and whether alleviating these signals over long-term intervals of years, right, disrupting the TSP-CD47 signal for several years or more, might have deleterious effect in terms of tumorogenesis. It doesn't seem to have that effect acutely, and by that I mean within weeks to, say, several months. And this data came and has been published from the laboratory of Dr. David Roberts at the National Cancer Institute of the NIH. So we think that there is an intrinsic role for the TSP-47 axis to change the responses not only of normal cells and tissue to radiation, but also to have an effect on cancer growth. So back to the trachea again, what's the status of this work? Well, the work here at Pitt really has been really enjoyable to do. It really formed the backbone of a PhD project for one of the MD-PhD students here, uh, Dr. Johannes Kooten, who defended his thesis last summer. But in those models, we were primarily looking at isolated cell types, in particular the proximal airway epithelial cells. And the in vivo model really was a transplant model of decellularized airways into either the wild type or the 47 null mice. Dr. Gilbert had also, while he was a faculty member here at the University of Pittsburgh, undertaken studies also looking at decellularized airway transplants. So what is the standard of care now for tracheal failure? Not being a chest surgeon or tracheal, if you will, clinician by background, the literature would tend to indicate that most people to date are managed if they fall beyond the realm of what surgical reconstruction can achieve, and that's usually dictated by the total length of lost trachea. Beyond a certain point in adults, you can't get enough laxity from the residual proximal and distal airway to bring the two together safely. When they have those conditions, the only real opportunity has been a tracheal transplant from a donor, but as you can imagine, that's extremely uncommon and technically very challenging. So alternatively, people that have narrowing or segmental loss and constriction are managed through various forms of tracheal airway dilation. There has been some exciting work out of Europe that in a very small number of pilot cases transplanted bioengineered tracheas into individuals and that work remains very exciting and pioneering but also appears to have run into some issues in terms of the healing of the transplanted constructs. And it might be that in those same people, if it had been looked at, though it hasn't yet, wasn't necessarily investigated, there may be these inhibitory pathways, such as thrombospondin and CD47, that are turned on at the time of transplant and then pose a barrier to the ultimate healing. So to digress for a moment, 
these inhibitory studies that you're doing certainly have applicability to broader areas, I presume. Well, it could be relevant for many forms of tissue engineering where the process requires cells to proliferate, migrate, and adhere to a surrounding scaffold, be it synthetic or structural. There might be inherent limits to that that Mother Nature puts in place, such as thrombospondin. There could be others. So there could be applications to many realms of wound healing and tissue engineering. It's possible the same regenerative dampening, if you will, though, is in play in aging. And the reason we are considering this is that we've seen, at least in mice, that are otherwise healthy but simply get older compared to their younger cohorts, the TSP-CD47 signal goes up with aging in certain tissues. And we reported that uh, several years ago, at least in the skin and soft tissue envelope of the animals, there was an induction of the TSP and CD47 just through the process of the animal aging. The implication was that the changed expression level was associated with changes in blood flow in those tissues. Now, we didn't specifically look at self-renewal signals such as the OSKM cassette at that time, but that would be something to consider. So, Dr. Eisenberg, uh, in terms of translational potential of CD47, uh, are there other opportunities to use this technology? Yes. I think the wider drug development community has started to appreciate possible roles for CD47 in several aspects of human disease. Recently, and this is maybe in the less than last six years, a number of pharmaceutical companies have initiated clinical trials of CD47 therapeutics. Uh, now, albeit it's not in line with bioengineering of uh, transplantable organs or self-renewal per se, they're actually pursuing it in the relationship to cancer. But nonetheless, if these humanized CD47 targeting agents disrupt the TSP-CD47 signal, they may in fact have, under certain conditions, the ability to be applied to, say, other wound healing and tissue engineering problems. Dr. Eisenberg, thank you for joining us today and sharing with us your pioneering studies that have applicability for tissue engineering and some of the other issues that we discussed briefly on this interview. I know that some of the people listening will want to follow up and learn more of your study. We'll post on the podcast website, your lab website, so they can have access to that information. I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors this podcast series. If you have questions, you can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And until we meet again, thank you for listening.